Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Kurt Steele. He has a long history in the profession. He's been around for about 27 years. He's a vision source administrator. He, he owns a multiple site practice. Um, and then he's also consulting with, with practices. Specifically, he feels like he works really well with, with rural practitioners and providers to kind of help them uh, through the processes that he had to struggle with for a long, well, through his career, really, um, so that they don't have to make the same mistakes. So Kurt's really worth your time. Um, please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. Getting young presbyopes into progressive lenses can be tough, but it doesn't have to be. Verilux Liberty 3.0 lenses are an introductory solution for new and young presbyopes, and they are available in select ad powers. This lens provides all-in-one balanced vision for an accessible and great first-time progressive lens wearing experience. Learn more about Verilux Liberty 3.0 lenses and get free resources to help start the progressive lens conversation with young presbyopes at slorepro.com slash Verilux. You know, I get questions all the time about how do we use 9.2 codes and 9.9 codes and which ICD codes go with different CPT codes and what can be built together and what can't. And this confusion, this uncertainty really holds us back oftentimes to be able to do what we want to do, which is help our patients see clearly and provide their best opportunity for a lifelong vision. And so we built iCode Education for that specific purpose. Uh, we have lots of resources that are based in helping you understand disease states, helping you understand revenue cycles and billing and coding practices. So check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. And we have a specific uh, bundle there for you if you'd like to take advantage of it. It's the premier billing and coding bundle. We've got a 10% discount code just for listeners of this show. Uh, you can just, in the coupon code at checkout, you can enter in iCode Media 22. That's E Y E C O D E M E D I A 22 at checkout. We'd love to have you. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. You know, one, one of the things, Kurt, that uh, kind of your claim to fame is you sort of tell, tell the story of. of uh, coming into a smaller practice and kind of purchasing and then growing that practice. I think, I think it's a good story and it's one that, that people ought to, to hear. Okay. It's, um, man, that could be, that could be a whole podcast in of itself, but, uh, you know, it's amazing how I guess God works in mysterious ways. Probably one of the best things that ever happened to me was I was in a car wreck. Um, and here, and here, and here's why I say that. So um, I came out of optometry school and thought, well, you know, I want to practice in a, you know, a large metropolitan whatever area. And I took a job in a Knoxville, Tennessee, at a at a um, at a, a, a ophthalmology clinic. It was a great job, um, but they had an office manager who just had a terrible view of optometry. As a matter of fact, she even thought. You know, like I shouldn't be called doctor, and I didn't know any better at the time because I was the optometrist, and they were the ophthalmologist, and they had there had to be a distinction. But it paid well, and it was a good job. So anyway, um, oh, on the way to boards in Memphis, on the very last clinical part three boards, I was in a car wreck, and I was even five minutes late for the first station. But I thought, well, even though I'm a little late, I'll miss a few here, but I'll ace 
everything else and be fine. So anyway, um, the ophthalmologist office manager, I've been there about four months. I, I requested a vacation and she turned it down. <laughs> and I was pretty mad about that. And I thought, well, you know, I didn't go to school all this time for that. And a guy named Jeff Foster, uh, who should, who, if there was a Mount Rushmore of, of Tennessee optometry, nobody in Tennessee would disagree with this statement. He would be on it. Um, he happened to call me that day, and he said, "Hey, I know you got this great job at, you know, St. Mary's Center for Sight in Knoxville, but we're guys retiring up here, and would you be interested in giving us a try?" And I said, "Well." I want to go to the beach in six weeks. Can I go? And he said, sure. And I said, well, then I'm interested. And literally just almost kind of because I was mad about going to the beach, I go to this little small town practice in Newport, Tennessee. Never even heard of Newport. Well, anyway, it turned out I did not pass those boards. And it, if if, um, if I'd have still been in Knoxville, they'd have probably just kicked me out the door. But Jeff Foster stuck by me and let me just work with him until I got all that straightened out. So when the time came at the end of 1996, I got offered to go back to the University of Tennessee as an optometrist, which at the time looked like a much better, <laughs> um, much better position. And luckily, my wife was of the same, then my fiance was of the same mindset that I was. And um, I just remember telling her, I says, you know, Jeff stuck by me in a few months where a lot of people would not have stuck by me. Mm. And I can't do it to him. I've grown very fond of him. And he is just a, he is, like I said, he's a champion of Tennessee optometry. Matter of fact, probably the smartest thing I've done in my entire career is just ride his footsteps. So, um, ride his coattails. Just So, um, we stayed, despite I could have made double the income in, um, initially going back working with ophthalmologists, and it turned out to be the best financial decision I've ever made because, you know, we Yeah, took you'd a, still be stuck. You'd still be stuck doing what you're doing or yeah. what you would have been doing. There's a couple things that kind of uh, strike me about about this story. The first one is you were looking in 1996, you were looking for the ability to say, look, I want time off. I want flexibility in my schedule as a, I didn't go to school for eight years and incur student loans and headaches and hassles uh, to basically be dictated to by somebody else. That is very correct. that translates into what I think a lot of people are dealing with right now today in their practices and trying to hire new doctors is that, uh, you know, there's this thought that new doctors just, you know, are, are kind of flighty. I mean, it, maybe it's not a thought, but but there's sort of this rumor or even this conception, whether it's accurate or inaccurate. But I'll tell you that that like your story kind of resonates to me as well, like. I got into this because I I want to take care of people, I want to provide for my family, and I want to have good flexibility in in my uh, in my day to day life, and right. optometry provides that. Certainly doesn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of flexibility, and I hustled a ton when I was first out of school. But I guess my point is is that a lot of times I have people tell me that that you know wanting to be able to have you know you're planning for a vacation but you just got a job that's not right, you know. There's this sort of this stigma against that when you think about generationally from kind of the the people that are your generation, my generation, you know, we're very we're about 12 years apart. And then even like my dad's generation, you know, right before, because you're kind of right between my dad and I. And um, but my dad's generation, for sure, there's sort of they're kind of exiting. And then there's sort of this resentment of, of young doctors who may want who want to have a lot of flexibility. But what you're saying is 
that desire existed in you in the 90s. It existed in me in 2008. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it exists in young pr practitioners right now. What are your thoughts well, about that? Um, well, yeah. Well, first of all, and because uh, I always like to give a shout out because he, he passed away from COVID uh, mm. two years ago. So, you know, a, a big thing for me is, and actually today is the two-year anniversary of my dad's passing. So I'm going to mention mm. two people that were huge mm. for me was Jeff Foster, who I stood by him when maybe it looked better to not. And I really think God rewarded me for that. Like, you know, I was the practice when I came here was about a $380,000 practice. And we literally are going to eclipse $3 million between now and the end of this year. Yeah, that's awesome. And, uh, and, and, and one of the reasons I think, and my dad, my dad and like, it's kind of funny because I have, and part of my attracting doctors to a poor rural area, one of the biggest lessons I learned from my dad, and, and my dad was very good at business, was if one side loses, both sides lose. Um, so whenever I, whenever I, I, I don't really negotiate. When I come into a deal, I try to figure out a way, like here's how I'm going to win and here's how you're going to win. I don't come at it from an initial approach of just this is how I'm going to win. And then you got to figure out how you're going to win, and we'll try to meet in the middle. I really try very hard when I come at somebody with a solution, like here's how we're both going to win, and then that way we don't have to really spend a lot of time talking about it. Why do you think that what experiences have occurred in your in your past to make you think like that initially? Oh, you know what? I just learned it from my dad. Just I, I can't think of one particular thing. I just remember hearing always my dad was very good at striking deals and negotiating deals. He was literally sent to just do that sometimes. And just he always tried to figure out a way both sides win. And there, if you think about it, that's true. So, you know, if you bring in an associate and, and it doesn't work out for one of you, it's not going to work out for either of you. Know, if mm -hmm. one side loses, really, both sides lose. So, and kind of, I want to go back to your question. It's kind of funny. You talked about, I think there's probably the same percentage of doctors that get it and don't. So, I've got a system in place where a doctor, you know, we don't even really have associates. We have potential partners. And I've got one doctor that just absolutely he actually he, he makes more than me and he's only been here two years but he works <laughs> 10 days more a quarter than i do yeah i mean he'll actually feel bad about it and he's he's just he just works hard and i mean he takes his vacations but when he's here he does not miss he doesn't miss like half a day to get his you know hair done or or take his dog somewhere. <laughs> i mean he really puts his nose and then honestly just we actually I got a notice today from another associate who is going elsewhere, actually even kind of breaking mm. the covenant to compete, but those things are kind of worthless anyway. Um, she wanted more are money. They worthless, are they worthless in Tennessee? They're pretty much worthless in Nebraska, Yeah, they're too. worthless in Tennessee. So, But she wanted yeah. a lot more money to do a lot less. And mm. so is she getting of, that? Uh, no. I guess that's why we're parting ways. <laughs> oh, she, oh, with you, she wanted that? Yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, like she... Like I would say, you know, we need to go visit another. Like one of the things I love to do is when we get a new doctor is we go visit other medical facilities and say this is our new doctor. And, I, you know, I told her in like one of our things, like you need to plan these. And she said, actually, that's something the office manager should do. I shouldn't have to do that. Mm. I thought, no, actually, you should. They need to hear from you, not our office manager. So, um, so I've seen both sides. I've got two doctors here and one that, I mean... He made, and she was wondering why he made a lot more than she did. And I was like, well, he worked like 30 days more than you did this past year. What do you hmm. expect? 
you know, it's not rocket science. If you work more, you make more. So, what was the know, response to that? Uh, silence. Uh, mm. That kind of stopped the conversation. I mean, it's, it's not hard. You made actually as much a day per day as he did. He worked a lot more days. So, you know, yes, if you're new, you do need to. I mean, you can still take a week or two off, but when you're here, you just got to concentrate on being. Now, to take up for that young associate, she got married. I mean, she had a lot of things that she. There was a lot of reasons that she worked a lot less days than the other guy. Sure. That were very legitimate, but still, yeah, you're going to make less money. I, I, I can't just magically come up with this income that we're supposed to pay you. It's got to be collected. It's got to be brought in. It's got to be earned. So, um, when you so start, we ways, so, we, so we parted ways with hers, but the other guy that worked, like he's, you know, and there's kind of an equity part to it and everything. I mean, he's he's getting a great deal, like a really great deal. Like he's probably going to have about two hundred thousand dollars of equity. January 1st when he's the first day he's a partner because of the system mm. we have in place and uh, um, he's done very well with it I mean, it's because he I'd say he averages working you know there's you know if you do a five day week 13 weeks there's up to 65 days a quarter you know you can work and he's always in the upper 50s hmm. and whereas the rest of us are around 48 49 and then our young associate there was one quarter she was like 38 39. So I'm kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah, you're, you made less money, you work less. So yeah, I don't know if that answered. I've so I've seen both sides. I've seen what you're talking about with one, but then the other. I, he's the, of that generation. He's in his late twenties, early thirties, and he's absolutely killing it. And he's killing it because he's busting his butt. I think I think the the real crux of my question was that often um, the. You know, it, it gets assigned as being a bad thing, but if that's something that you're you're looking for, right? If because you were looking for it, I think in a lot of ways I didn't know, but but I was looking for it as well at the time. I didn't know, um, but there's compromises that come with it, and those compromises initially can be financial, and but over time, if you if you grow a practice and you grow a patient base, it's a, it's as long as you're accepting of those financial consequences of that flexibility. And to your point, as long as you have tried to work to find common ground and beneficial relationships on both side, when you're coming to a, an agreement, then that, that, uh, that should work out where both parties kind of walk away and say, look, I didn't make as much as I otherwise would have, but I got the, I got the trip to the beach. Right. So like our, you know, the young associate I was telling you about, and that really kind of, I mean, I think it's still soured her a little anyway, but I mean, you know, what ended, what ended, there was a big email string back and forth about how fair or unfair the pay was. And I said, I don't know if you realize this, I can't remember the exact number, but it was upper 30. So let's say 38, you missed 38 days this year. In addition to the 10 days we take off just naturally in the practice because mm. of Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, um, Good Friday, Independence Day, and so total of forty-eight mm-hmm. days that you could have worked that was missed. So yeah, I mean, you know, you're yeah, gonna, it's, it's income significant. Is, your income is going to suffer. I don't know how else to put it. She actually made four hundred ninety dollars a day as an associate, but she only worked so many days, and you know, four ninety a day is not bad. No, a, no, it's not bad. I mean, and that's what she ended up making with our formula, and I pointed that out uh, to be exact i think it was 486 you know you made 486 dollars a day i happen to know that locally even commercial pays like 450 i mean your per yeah. day rate you actually did real well you just didn't work enough days and it just didn't ever seem so, to completely 
register. And I'm sure she's got, there's another side to that story. There always is, but that's the way I look at it. But then you got this other guy who's doing incredibly well on our system because he works, you know, 220 days a year, you know, versus everybody else around 180. He just earned it. Well, but but to your point, I mean, she it sounds to me like the the doctor who's leaving you, um, she was able to take basically forty eight days off the, in the year. Yeah. You know? So she had she and, worked, and we yeah. didn't say anything. We, we and she but she got paid. She got paid like she had a, a a kind of continual income throughout the practice, but she just probably didn't yes. hit her her metrics and and cover her costs. Otherwise, that she would have made even more than that because she right. let's say she had worked another 20 days that would have offset her costs even more. So it's Correct. not like she just made a finite amount of, of 490 a day. Uh, basically that was extrapolated out, including the days that she would have had off. Is that correct? Right. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. We don't pay a per day. We, we have a formula and basically we treat new doctors even like their partners. Like it's mm. their potential partner, not an associate. And uh, there's a formula that's based partly on your ownership and, partly on your production. And so um, when when it was all said and done, she made 490 a day, but we didn't pay her like you're going to make this much a day. We just paid her based on that formula. Right. Right. What I pointed out to her was is yeah, you made a lot less than Graham, but you worked a lot less. If you look at the per day, it's pretty close. So So then Kurt, how do you um how do you translate your experience in, in, to your words, rural, poor, small town Tennessee into other practices across the country that may or may not meet, match your demographic, your patient demographic? Oh, Kurt, I'm in, I'm in the middle of Chicago. My practice can't be like yours. Or I'm That's in, true. you know, what, what are your thoughts about that? So, or I'm in California. Nothing like, you, you know, you, Kurt, you have access to all the medical plans and you can do all the uh, high-end valued stuff. But in California, I can't even get on any of these HMO plans. So all I have is managed vision care or cash pay or these really small plans. Everybody is owned by Kaiser. So, like, how do you respond to that? Um, you're right. <laughs> so <laughs> I've opened up this consulting place and I did it and I... Basically, I am concentrating on rural practices. So you're excluding them within your within your. Uh, no, I'm not excluding them because there are some things that are. Um, pardon me. I'm actually. I got a patient coming at 4:30. The uh, she actually lives like in Colorado, and I, she wears clerals, and she may or may not be coming. But anyway, um, before so I've opened up a a, a consulting company i guess i don't know coaching call it what you want it um i mean i'm like i called it legit vision because part of the overall structure is after my first initial visit to your practice you can actually come to see my practice and one of the reasons i did that is one i think some of my clients may want to see me do this here but number two i called it legit vision because it's legitimately what i do Mm -hmm. like i will never quit seeing patients because i enjoy it Mm -hmm. so you know, one of the options the client has is they can come see me. But also, I, I you know, like I don't have brochures and I don't have because I, I don't want it to be a cookie cutter program because, you know, in two or three days, I, you can't teach somebody everything. But I, so I always do a pre-interview and I make sure I'm a good fit. So oddly enough, the first person that contacted me was in Metro Chicago. 
Hmm. And we did the pre-interview, and 10 minutes in, I actually kind of said, you know, I don't think, you know, I am the person for you, because it's just not the same. But the, the, the two clients, I've got one, I've got clients in a couple of rural locations, and what they told me was, is I've had other consultants, but you could tell they were from Chicago. Hmm. They were mm-hmm. from Houston. They were from, you know, there's not a lot of consultants that come from where the Moonshiners is filmed. <laughs> which that is true mark and digger are patients of mine they're on the show the moonshiners so you know i've had several rural practices say i wish you'd have been available years ago because you actually get what i do on a daily basis in a small town mm-hmm. so that was a long answer but basically you're right like i may not be the consultant for somebody in los angeles and chicago and new york and I mean, I might be. We might have an interview. Maybe your two or three things you need help with or something I can help you with, like bringing a partner in. But apparently you have a lot harder time bringing in a potential partner to Newport, Tennessee, than you do to Chicago. Is that is that the case? I would say so. Yeah, most, I'd say most people in their mid to late 20s do not want to come to a small rural practice. They want to go Yeah. You know, maybe stay yeah, where that- optometry school was or... Yeah, you, know, you don't see a lot of people. Yeah, yes, it's harder to attract a any doctor. I don't think it's just optometry. I think you hear this all the time that you know it's much harder to get doctors to come. I mean, there's there are government you know government programs that pay doctors to go to small rural areas just to get them there. And then yeah, you hear I, talk about the, the 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 overcrowding of optometry or whatever. Well, not really in Newport, Tennessee. No, you know. Well, I would That's imagine your ability to purchase, you know, purchase land and purchase buildings That's and big. your reimbursements are basically what what it would be if you were in Knoxville or uh, or Memphis. You know, your reimbursements are probably very similar to those, maybe even more because you can negotiate better. Um, right. You know, but, I mean, but you're also in a small town where the cost of living is much lower, but your correct. income's pretty much the same. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So I think. I think those are those are things that always make me scratch my head. But then I then I get it. I mean, you know, um, I I I think about the the challenges that we have as a profession related to just the demographics of the population. And you know, if if you think about like the whole population, like all of society. Like I was married when I went to optometry school. We sort of had a foundation in uh, in Nebraska, and so we were going to come back to Nebraska. That was the plan. It would have almost been impossible for for us not to do that. My wife had roots here. I had roots here. But you know, as a society, you know, people are getting married later. You know, later in life. So many of them are waiting to. They're not even dating anybody seriously until they get into professional school. And then they may meet people in professional school that are from all over the country, or they may meet people who are in other professions in those big cities. And in other professions in those big cities, where where is it attractive to get you know be a big time lawyer or a, you know uh, if you if you're a medical doctor and you've got another residency for four you know for four years after medical school and there's all these other kind of poles that are that are I think kind of this underlying draw to why we're seeing those same types of challenges. And I would even say, Kurt, is probably not so much um, just rural Tennessee or rural Nebraska, because I think it does exist. But it, it's by and large, I think, um, in in most of the states where I do work as well, um, I see the same thing, but it's largely in states that don't have optometry schools. I'm seeing this a lot, right? Like right. if you look at South Dakota, Nebraska... Iowa, um, 
these doctors, even in relatively large cities like like Omaha, is you know a metro population of over a million people. And if I ask the doctors in our Vision Source group, we just did this uh, at our last Vision Source meeting. Raise your hands if you're looking to hire somebody in the next couple of years. And every single hand went up in that room. And uh, and many of them are actively looking now, and it's just a challenge for them to find somebody. So I'm wondering if that's not a piece of it. Oh, definitely. And um, actually, we've attracted several doctors here. Some have stayed, some haven't, but we're at least getting them here to try it. Uh, hmm. And that is part of really, if you was going to ask me, like, um, as, as your, and, uh, your consulting company, which, by the way, the website is uh, legitvisionpllc.com. Um, yeah, great. Part of part of it is attracting doctors, getting them to come to areas they wouldn't normally come to, and part and part of when, I, when I'm just now starting it. So, I've already got three clients lined up though, and that's cool. But uh, yeah, like, I great. Want to, I really want to touch base with all the optometry schools and find out, you know, really get a good relationship with the placement director because, and my passion for this arose by the way, and I guess this is changing topic a little is. You know, watching all these private practices go either uh, sell to equity or to other ophthalmologists or to ophthalmology groups. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a, as a past Tennessee president, as a uh, vision source administrator, and as a 27-year private practitioner who learned at the feet of the foot of a champion for political optometry in Tennessee, probably the most underrated optometrist in the history of optometry, in my opinion, I just really have a passion for. I, I don't want to see these little one doctor solo rural practices die or get sold to equity or to get sold to ophthalmology. I want them to stay private optometry, and um, I want to teach them how we went from a two doctor, you know, three hundred eighty thousand dollar practice to a five doctor, three million dollar practice in a poor rural area. Now, it only took me 25 years to do it. <laughs> do you know the, the annual growth rate on that? Huh? Do you know the you know, annual gro- annualized growth rate? Just like everybody else, you know, we had good years and we had bad years. What I would say is um, the three best years of growth we ever had was the two years we moved into a new facility. So in a small I hear that field, all the time. Building, not even, it's not even like easily 30, 40% growth. And then uh, the, the third best year of growth we ever had was the first year we joined Vision Source. Hmm. You know, just amazing what learning all those ideas and you know everything. So the, our three best years of growth were those three years: the two years we built a new building and the year we joined Vision Source. Um, you know, we just bought a part of that three million is we have a second location. Now, that's a really easy way to grow. And the other really easy thing was it was a two to three day a week practice, and we made it a five day a week practice. Well, that that's simple growth, uh, you know. So, but you know, the, to 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 toot this guy's horn though, he's a he's a solo practitioner, and in his second year, he's already grossing over a million. So, maybe he should be doing this podcast, not me, because uh, he's really <laughs> well. I'd love to talk to him. Job. His name's Graham Taylor. Listen, he's killing it. He's doing a great job over there. He's you know, I barely, I, I own this practice. I've seen it five times. I've never felt the need to really go over there. He, <laughs> he, he, I just looked at the numbers and go, well, okay. And I got yeah. a great, uh, and matter of fact, when we bought the practice, we had a, uh, um, office manager, uh, that, that was there and she was the optical manager at the time. And her, we bought it from her aunt and her name's Gloria Kaufman. And she's, 
un- just very uniquely and unusually and highly talented. Those two together have just really done a great job. So we're actually looking at building a new building over there. So it'll be my third new construction in 12 or 13 years. Wow. So, you know, one of the things I can help somebody with is if they're thinking, first of all, should I build? And then how do I go about it? Um, I've, this, I've, I've done that rodeo three times. So I can be a big help on how to start that process and what to do and what not to do and also add new doctors. So, you know, I guess, you know, I guess. Well, I, well tell me about that then, Kurt. You know, when you think about adding new doctors, um, what are the thoughts that that are coming to your mind when you're saying, look, I, I come to any kind of uh, agreement where I'm looking out for, you know, uh, making sure that not only am I satisfied, but the other person is satisfied. What are the types of things that that you think about when you're hiring an associate that um, that you think is kind of unique? Oh gosh, I guess I, are you talking more about what am I looking for in them, or just what am I? How do I get no, them to board? Yeah, no. What I'm saying is like you know clearly you want the as you discussed, is that you want the deal to be advantageous to you as the business owner, but you also want them to feel uh, fulfilled by that deal as opposed to coming in and I'm just going to tell you everything I want and then you tell me everything you want and then we kind of battle back and forth. Um, What's your approach there and and how do you you think about that and articulate that to a a new doctor to to enter into those? So first of all, what we actually pay everybody on the same formula which is, I guess, a little unique. So you're kind of treated as a partner ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm still tweaking this system a little bit, and I think I finally got it because there's tax implications and all that. So, you know, initially what I did is we actually took money, like we paid you like a partner, but then we took money out, and we applied that to the purchase of the practice. But there's a whole capital gains versus personal income thing there. And then my accountant said, you know, that – she, they should have been writing a check, and then there's tax implications. It shouldn't have just been like this mm-hmm. virtual equity situation. So mm-hmm. if I was going to do it today, probably the biggest thing we do is we set the purchase price of the practice before they start. And so, you know, and we make it maybe a little higher than market value because the first year or two, you know, you're, they're, they're going to get patients because it's your office, not because it's them. But then year three, year four is where they're going to start. They're growing your practice. So, you know, we, we might project it a little and say, this is what it's going to be worth in 12 months. Or, you know, instead of doing 65 to 70% gross, let's set the purchase price at 80% gross. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you say, okay, here's the purchase price of the practice, and when you're ready to go, you can go to the bank and get this money, or we'll self-finance it with these terms, or maybe we'll self-finance it the first two to three years, then you can go to the bank. And so I think what we're, uh, I just hear a lot of young doctors end up leaving is because they were told, oh, we'll make you a partner, and then five years go by, and there's still no partnership. Well, I think also that it's the we'll make you a partner it's, it's kind of vague, right? Like, right. what does that so, even mean? You know, what's the price? And, and actually, how do I even get financing? I got a quarter million dollars of debt. And and then from, from the owner's standpoint, you know, the, the kind of struggles that, that probably come up that I'd love to hear your opinions on are just, so, you know, which, what is which, what is the new partner going to bring to the practice? Right. What duties are they going to do? Are they going to think like a partner 
or are they going to think like an employee? I mean, those are things that you can't know when you first bring somebody on board. So how do you how do you manage that? Well, I will say this, even the one that just gave us her notice, she really treated this like she was a partner. And so actually, actually mm. very, we're very That's sad interesting. to her because she's actually very, she was very um, involved. She did a lot for the practice. I mean, I, she was only here a year, year and a half, but I will can easily say that, that our practice is better off because she was in it, even though I think her last day is going to be in the middle of March or something. Hmm. Oddly enough, there's another optometrist in town, and this is the third time he's done this to us within like 10 years. He keeps hiring our doctors from us, and then they last there about a year or two. I keep thinking somebody's going to go, wait a minute, maybe this doesn't work, because none of them are there anymore either. So, I don't know. Um, Yeah. But we do, we treat them like partners. We pay them like partners. They go to partner meetings. Um, So, I mean, we involve them as partners, and it's basically it's gone one for two, and that's why I'm tweaking it. The first guy that we did it with, is it's worked incredibly well, and honestly, it worked incredibly well with the second one. I don't know exactly what happened there, but um, I think she, well, I told you that was the pay thing. But um, anyway, um, with the first guy, but we treat him, we just treat him like partners. I guess that's the best way to put it. And we, you know, like I said, the, 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 in the negotiations with this latest one, she kind of wanted to not be, have to work like a partner anymore, but get paid like one. And that was where the, mm. and that's the way I took it. Now, like I said, I'm sure there's two sides to every story, but you know, she wanted more money to not have not have to do some of those partner things anymore. I thought, well, that's not the way this works. You need to be a part. You know, you need to go visit doctors, and, and you know, one of the best things we ever did in our practice, we grew our medical 60 percent. Mike Rothschild can verify that because he, we're on revolution, and when our new doctor five years ago came aboard, we literally took her to every medical facility in town and introduced her and. Mike Rothschild called me and said, I don't know what you're doing, but your medical is up 60%. Mm. So, you know, it's one of the big things I, I like when I go to, if I go to consult with somebody, we're going to find out where their local doctors are and set up some meetings, you know, if you really want to grow your medical. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, especially in rural in rural towns, I mean, those, you know, if, if ophthalmology is few and far between and hospital systems are few and far between, uh, I mean, what a, what an easy... Right. I mean, what what an easy no brainer uh, solution for growth. It just it's quick, and get, and keep going. Like go two or three times a year. And and by the way, the checkout person's your most important person. The one that yeah. as the patient is leaving, because <laughs> like there's one family practice center in town. Like she literally, if you're a diabetic, and the, now we don't steal from others. So if she says, "Do you have an sure. eye doctor?" And if the answer is no, she goes, "Well, you, these people will call you tomorrow." Yeah, and they fax us that list of their diabetics, so we see all their diabetics, and they even have the camera, and they still send them. So, well, they get the camera on occasion. I think they rent it. You know, that's a so that's an interesting one. You know, unpack that a little bit. So, when you go in there, because um, that's what I've noticed is that as we talk to other providers across, you know, in our in our community in Omaha. Um, most of the do- most of it's not the doctors that are recommending. Like you know, when I think about, I've got a patient that needs some sort of procedure or something that I is out of my is beyond my scope, um, and I send them someplace. Like I will st- send them specifically to some place. Like this is the guy you should see. I don't give them a whole bunch of cards, but it's hard to know. Like um, some of those some of those primary care providers and pediatricians and internal medicine physicians. They they just sort of have this pool of like here go see one of these people and they'll sort of give out cards, and we've had the same success where 
you know, it's talking to the people at the front desk, the schedulers in particular. Right. But what would be really valuable would be like, is there a way that that you can almost get start getting referrals specifically from that other provider? Have you had any success with that? multifocal for just a second. It has been a really great thing in our practice for our patients who are presbyopes of all areas, but you know, those tricky presbyopes are always the ones that are kind of emerging where they don't want to give up any of their faraway vision, but they're having some struggles up close. And so what uh, the My Day Multifocal has been able to do for us is to allow those patients to transition into a multifocal more easily. And then as we have those patients progress into other levels where they need more ad powers, it's been a nice, smooth transition. So the ultimate hurdle that we've seen in our practice before the My Day Multifocal was that we'd have patients who would resist any transition to a multifocal lens because of that distance blur. We just haven't seen that. So if you haven't started using My Day Multifocal in your practice, I would encourage you to start. Check it out. Uh, contact, reach out to your Cooper reps for those trial lenses uh, and commit to My Day Multifocal for your patients. I think they're going to like it. If you haven't checked out MacuHealth yet for your patients in Category 1 through Category 4, I think there's a lot of evidence that you should be considering. The first is if we just look at AREDS 2 and what they, they talk about, MacuHealth is a, so for patients in Category 3 and Category 4 um, AMD, MacuHealth is a great option for them that follows that entire, um, that entire protocol, and it also adds mesozeaxanthine to the mix, which if you look at some of the evidence, I believe shows me that it's going to thicken the macular pigment better than without mesozeaxanthine. It also uses the a correct AREDS2 dose of zinc uh, at 25 milligrams, and so you don't have to worry so much about the potential side effects of zinc. The other thing to, to think about, and it's beyond the scope of this, although you've probably heard me talk on other podcasts, is that in patients in category one and two, there may be some additional benefit uh, to supplementing them with something that may be a little bit less than the AREDS2, so you don't have to add as much to it. And that's where I use the MacuHealth LMZ3. And so I think if you haven't done this yet, I'd consider MacuHealth in your practice and for your patients. And it's been great for my patients, and, um, and we really feel like we have the ability to uh, help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. Yeah, and actually, here's what I would say isn't it's just simple. Like if we've talked earlier, generation to generation, still nothing beats hard work. Uh, you just got to, and here's, by the way, the, um, and nobody else is going to do it, not even, let's say, so Vision Source. I'm the administrator for East Tennessee. I'll give you a great example. One of the reasons, too, I got really involved in AOA, I'm on my soapbox here a little, too, is we have, we're getting better, but we have done a very poor job of of, of educating health care of what optometry can do. I actually talked to a guy from Humana that ran 11 states for Humana. The guy's name is David Anand. You can look it up. He runs the Mid-Atlantic region, 11 states for Humana. And just, this has been within the last three or four years, looked me dead in the eye, and when we were talking, he said, well, y'all can't treat glaucoma, we'll just skip mm. Mm. He had no idea that optometry could treat glaucoma, and he ran 11 states for Humana. Yeah. Most, take out ophthalmology. Most MD providers are not anti-optometry. They are ignorant of optometry. Correct. They don't know what we can do. 
Tri-West, a lot of people here know Tri-West because optometry does a lot with Tri-West. The very first meeting between primary care optometry and Tri-West was in Morristown, Tennessee, between me and a higher-up. Do you do Tri-West? Have you ever heard of Tri-West? It's the We don't have it. In Nebraska, it's not big. Okay, it's big in in a lot of areas. And actually, it started with me and this guy, military guy. So I came in five minutes early for a noon lunch. And um, in the the military, if you're five minutes early, you're ten minutes late. And so I kind of knew that. So when I came in, I apologized to the guy. And I said, I apologize that I'm five minutes early, basically. I had an ocular emergency. And he looked at me funny. So I showed up thinking I'm going to talk to this guy about providing medical eye care for veterans. That's TriWest was the system that we that optometry in my region could see veterans through the VA system if they were not close enough to a VA or whatever. Okay. Okay. So uh, he said an emergency. What was it? I said, well, this guy had a foreign body and I took it out. He said, aren't you an optometrist? And I said, yes. And he looked at me kind of pissed off and went, why did you not send that to an ophthalmologist? Uh-huh. So I showed up at this meeting to this healthcare executive with TriWest that you would think would know better to talk about providing complete eye care for veterans, and he thought we were just glasses and contacts. And I had to spend this whole meeting going over, no, we can do diabetic things. So here's why I'm saying that. So even here locally, um, Dr. Emily Eisenhower, who's my junior partner, has a relative who is a nurse practitioner. And I, I negotiated a thing with Vision Source and a local a group called Summit where we would be the preferred provider for all their diabetics. And I really thought the, the magic bus was going to pull up out front <laughs> with all the diabetics in town. Well, they never showed up. So finally, a couple of months later, Emily goes over to where this nurse practitioner is and say, Hey, you're, you're with Summit. Didn't you get the email? about vision source and she said oh yeah but i always send them she was sending all of her diabetics to a corneal specialist an hour away and we're right around the corner because she didn't really think we could do diabetic eye exam so long a long way to drive to the diner but it's open um here's here's what i'm saying and i i mean forget the question almost but we have as as a grassroots effort we have to go out and educate the healthcare community about what we can do because a lot of them still don't know yeah i agree and i think i I wonder why that is the perception you know i I wonder how much of this perception exists because just collectively on a day-to-day basis most of the stuff that most people do is not that or when they when you are not encountering when you are a patient that doesn't have one of those things and the only thing that you hear is here's your new glasses prescription um, then you just aren't associating any of the other things that might be going on I, I just don't know I mean like I think about the way I was trained clearly the way you were trained I mean the way the way that we've been trained for the last 30 years or more, why that that still exists and i believe it does i mean i i agree with you i'm not disagreeing with what you're saying but like there's this systemic problem that our messaging and it has i really don't believe it's the aoa's like battle to fight i mean i i think they've got to help i think they are helping as much as they possibly can but you know if 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 on a day-to-day basis the rank and file average of the profession the average practitioner in the profession 
um, is not kind of having these ongoing conversations about ocular health and systemic health and what we're seeing and what we're not seeing and what we're looking for and what we can manage and, and having this kind of ongoing dialogue with patients, right. then, um, then we'll always be put in those boxes is my suspicion, you know, and we'll have these sort of, um, little isolated, you know, practices like yours, uh, that have, have really carved out a lot of things well, or, but but I don't know the other answer because it's, the it's, communication it's, doesn't just come, Kurt, from me telling you, hey, I treat eye disease, and it happens once. It's a constant ongoing flow of information. That's why your patients come to you for medical conditions is because it's part of the culture in your practice. And well, there's no illusion when you walk into your practice, my suspicion is. I've never been there, but there's no illusion that, that that's not part of the stuff that you do. And whether that's just an ongoing communication with your patients uh, purposefully, or it's just that they've always been able to come to you when they have a problem and you've always been able to solve it or find somebody to solve it if you can't versus like, oh, no, we don't deal with that. Go see so-and-so or we don't deal with that. Go see such and such. I mean, if it's not part of the practice culture and it's not part of the practice identity, then it's just going to be an afterthought, and and it's much bigger than just solving an acute problem, right? It's a it's a it's a you have to solve the acute problems, but you also have to manage the chronic conditions as well. Absolutely. Um, well, first of all, like for twenty something years, I always cringe when I call a fellow colleague's office and the machine says, "If this is an eye emergency, go to the emergency yeah. room and hang up." Yeah. Okay. Well, then you're not then then you're never going to be medical. I mean, we have we actually. By the way, they're not expensive. We we have a 24-hour answering service, and we rotate call, and we act we, we fax our on-call schedule to the emergency room, to the fast-paced clinic, to Summit, uh, to the family practice center, and they all have our on-call, and they know that they can call us when there is an emergency. But maybe even more importantly, every single patient that comes here gets a card with our 24-hour answering service. And what I always say is, is I hope you never need this, but, but we have, do have a 24-hour answering service. We're on staff at the hospital, so if you go there with an eye emergency, all you're going to do is sit for an hour or two, and then you're going to end up here anyway. <laughs> so you might as well call me first. Right. So, And I, I do that on pretty much every patient. I'm not going to say I remember it 100% of the time, but I remember it probably... 80 to 90 percent of the time and they do call and uh, and by the way so we have an on-call system but if somebody calls and specifically asks for me even if i'm not on call and this is easy being in a small town too i usually will meet them yeah um so um it's, yeah it's just a, it's a, it's it's a grassroots thing um and, and luckily, I had a senior practice partner that was on the. He's in the picture of every Tennessee political victory ever, and he had that in place actually before I ever got here. So I should really only take a very little bit of credit for that. It was he already well, had that. It's not rocket science, Kurt. I mean, it's not rocket science. Just it's just doing. It's just doing the thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and what I found in that same in that same paradigm is that most patients are going to only call you when it's. When they really need you, the rest of the time they're gonna, you know, they're gonna, um, they're gonna be respectful of it. They're, I think that's one of the, the worries. And I have said this before. I've said this a million times. Like with telehealth now, and with cell phones, and then being right. able to jump on a computer to see what that patient's actually going through. There's a lot of intermediate steps that don't require you coming in, you know, right before mass on a Sunday morning or right after very mass on a Sunday morning to unlock your doors and see a patient. There's a lot of other options. True. 
That is very, very true. Um, a lot of patients will just send you a photo on your phone, and um, you just yeah, you just go, oh, that's this, and um, yep, and we can see you on Monday or do this and it, go go take Tobradex for two days, and right. we'll see you Monday morning. Yeah, right. And, right. You know, hopefully, that'll usually fix it anyway. Whatever it is. So. So, Kurt, listen, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, I, I really appreciate you coming on here. And just what I, what I like to do on this podcast is sort of get a sense of who people are and let the audience get a sense of who people are. And I think through that, they're going to they're gonna have a pretty good sense that, that you're the type of guy that may be worth reaching out to. So tell everybody how they can reach out to you. We'll put this in the short notes of today's show as well. Okay, so... Um there is a website, Legit Vision, L-E-G-I-T-V-I-S-I-O-N-P-L-L-C.com. Um, there's a questionnaire on there and then my information. <clears throat> the easy email to remember, you know, all Vision Source administrators have it. It's my first initial, last name at visionsource.com. So K-S-T-E-E-L-E at visionsource.com. Uh, my cell number is 423-608-5248. Yeah, a lot of what I talked about here, um, you know, as far as me visiting your practice, there's I think there's several ways I can help. And like we, we do we do a free interview first. It's supposed to be an hour, but my first one was two hours. And um, uh, that we <laughs> actually like most optometrists, you like to give away stuff, which yeah. is good. Good for you. So I almost at the call, I thought, well, I've already told you over almost half of it. But, <laughs> um, but I knew that we my first fit actually, she's in Plymouth, Indiana. And uh, she she said a doctor's name that she bought the practice from, and I tried to spell it, <clears throat> and I was way off. So my response to that was Samsonite. I was way off. <laughs> and she said, oh, Dumb and Dumber, I love that movie. I said, okay, you and I are going to be a good fit. Yeah. I knew, it, I knew it at that point. But she's in a small rural town in Indiana. I looked up the demographics, very similar to my county. She mentioned some of her issues. I've had those issues, but I've worked through them. And what I told her was, is it took me 25 years to get here. I want to see you get there in five to seven. You know, that's the goal is I can tell you yeah. what I did and what I didn't do. And, uh, um, but, you know, bringing aboard new doctors, growing the medical model, knowing when to build, knowing when to grow, knowing how to grow. You know, a lot of doctors are just solo practitioners. And they, she even said it. She's by herself. She said, I don't even know how to get started adding an associate or adding a partner and you know i've done that several times so um i think i can really help her there so you know i don't want i'm not i'm not just looking to do this for anyone i really want to do an initial interview and make sure i'm going to help because like i said both sides got to win you know obviously i'm i'm doing this for a living so i'm gonna you're gonna pay me to come there but I want you to say, first of all, I'm a, I think I'm about half of what a lot of consultants, I pay for consultants, I pay double for what I'm charging right now. <laughs> you know, I want the other side to go, wow, that was the best money I've ever spent. That's the best, you know, you know, I, I made triple what Kirk charged me, you know, so, you know, yeah. much, very similar to just my overall philosophy. I, I want to make sure I'm a good fit and that we're both going to win. You know, I'm going to make a good, you know, I'm going to make a good living coming to you, and you're going to make a lot more money because I came there, and that's that's awesome, awesome, Kurt Steele. Thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah.